0: Chapter sixteen, and we finished off the, the prior chapter, and, and when we we uh, we left the last chapter, you know, as we, we entitled the the last chapter, "They Too Have Warts," and we studied how Peter, uh, even after he made this impassioned defense for the gospel, separating the gospel of Jesus Christ away from the from the law of the Old Testament the new law of grace, justification by faith alone, salvation. Uh, and as he made this impassioned defense, separating, separating the old from the new, well, we saw that within a year or two of that, he traveled to Antioch, and there, under the pressure of his pals from the Jerusalem church, his old Jewish pals, he reverted to his old ways and hung around with his Jewish pals at dinner, didn't eat with the Gentiles, and effectively eroded his testimony. And so we talked about the erosion of one's testimony with our our life, even when you can be a spiritual giant. They too have warts. And then I said, "And what about you? And what about me? And then we finished up with the story of Paul getting into an argument with Barnabas over taking John Mark, That was the cousin of Barnabas with them on their next missionary trip. And the reason for that was that John Mark walked out on them on their first missionary trip. And I told you he was a 19-year-old. He was a teenager. It was probably his first trip away from home. He probably was irked because he was close to his uncle Barnabas and saw that Paul had become effectively the titular head of the mission. For whatever reason, he left and Paul did not forget it and he got into an argument, and they split up. They split up, Uh, and so from now on, the missionary trips will not be Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas is going off in another direction to do missions. Paul is now partnering with Silas. Uh, Silas, also a Jew from the Jerusalem church, and so I put all this in context to you as we begin our second, our chapter 16 in Acts, and now they're about to begin their second major missionary trip. This is now Paul and Silas. Verse one: He came to Derby and then to Lystra. Derby and Lystra were churches that he had visited before. He had had a wonderful time in Derby and Lystra. Do you remember? That's where he was stoned to death. That was a nice trip. I'm sure it's in his in his his journal. You know, he, he talked about some of the high moments of ministry. And that's basically where he was stoned to death. But you know it's funny how God uses bad things, because in the middle of that obvious horrendous episode of being stoned to death, Timothy, whose mother was a Jew, whose father was a Greek Gentile, Timothy obviously saw this, saw how Paul worked, saw how God raised Paul effectively from the dead, and Timothy, as a result of this evil thing, in terms of the testimony of Paul, became a Christian. So you see that God uses some of these horrendous things that happen to people as a testimony. I'm sure he had seen his, he had been there and heard them speak. But I'm sure also when he saw the impact of their life, how people reacted to hard times. And we're going to talk about that. Our testimony in hard times. Our testimony when we get sick, when things go against us, when our finances are hurting, when our relationships are hurting. How do we act? What separates us from the rest of the world? Because people are looking at you. Let me tell you, folks. They know you go here. They know you're a Christian. Okay? They know who you are. They see you get up early in the morning, go out to your car, go out to this church. They know that. They see you come back late in the day. and they see you go back to church. They know who you are. You know, it's funny because I told some of the people in the, in the later class, I said, you know, some of us should take the Jesus fish off the back of the car. You know? Some of us should take the Jesus fish off the back of the car because some of the things that we do in traffic... <laughs> I personally don't have one on my car I'm <laughs> I have not reached that sanctified state yet but but you know some of us some of us uh, they had a they had a meeting of the Bible teachers some of the Bible teachers at the church uh, last Wednesday it was a small group Lewis Howard convened it uh, it was about five of us and one of the one of, and I mentioned that I, I had said that and everybody laughed but one of the guys but I won't say who it is who teaches a class here didn't laugh he, he goes, well, you know, he says, whenever I, I see a car that has the, the fish on it and then the symbol of Darwin, you've seen that, right? He said, I get out of my car, and I go up to them, and I say, why would you do something so offensive that you know that's a meaningful symbol to Christian people? Why would you do that? And I said, and what do they say? He said, they never answer. They never say a word to me. And I said, and that's because they think you have a gun. <laughs> uh, somebody bailed me out. What's the symbol for Darwin? It's a fish walking with feet, isn't it? I think it's a fish walking with feet. Yes. So, uh, and when I said that, he didn't laugh at that either. By the way, so. But the point of it is, you know, as my father said, we have to to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and sometimes use words. (laughs) Sometimes use words. Because every day of your life, every time you meet people, you see people, your life is a testimony. How you act, how you speak, how you handle yourself, everything that you do. When you're sick, how you handled yourself in sickness, it all is a testimony. And we're going to see one of the great testimonies in the world in this chapter. And so it says in verse 1, he came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. When it says that his mother was a believer, she wasn't Jewish. She didn't adopt Jewish traditions. She was a Gentile who worshipped God. Was kind of a unique situation. So she was a Gentile, who who worshipped Yahweh. Uh, and the interesting thing is, his mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. Well, if you know, you're from your old your Jewish traditions. If your mother was a Jew, you were considered a Jew. Okay, you were considered a Jew. It's the mother, effectively, the mother that carried what we would call the Jewish gene. So your mother was a Jew didn't matter what your father was, you were considered a Jew. And so uh, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and remember there was a church there that he had established, spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this is important. We just got done with the Jerusalem council. The whole purpose of the Jerusalem council was to demonstrate that in order to be a Christian, you didn't have to be a Jew. Right? That there was a whole separate covenant. You did not have to be a Jew. Yet at this point, Paul circumcises Timothy, who didn't consider himself a Jew, but wanted considered himself a Christian. And the reason that he did this was because he did not want this to become a stumbling block. And write the word stumbling block in your notes. This is an important concept to understand. Stumbling block. A lot of times we focus on what we'll call sins. Sins. And really, Another focus that we need to have is on stumbling block. Are you a stumbling block to someone? Are you doing something to be a stumbling block to somebody? Somebody said, "Well, give me an example of stumbling block." Well, for example, here's here's a here's, this is an uh, one example. Suppose you were trying to reach Jewish people and you you, you 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 invited them over to your house and you were you know you just wanted to have some fellowship with them. Would you serve pork sandwiches? <laughs> I've got these delicious pork sausages. You're going to love them. You wouldn't do that. In other words, you wouldn't do that. If you know somebody has some issue about a certain conduct, a certain way of, 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 of conducting yourself, uh, and it's not a doctrinal issue, circumcision was not a doctrinal issue. But he knew, he knew that as he was going to go out and do the gospel of Jesus Christ, that if he wanted to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, these people would not listen because they would be blinded by this stumbling block of a Jew, as they perceived it, as a Jew not being circumcised. Do you understand this concept? This is important, okay? So, I mean, I put it to you, you know, we have to understand the art of compromise. We never compromise doctrine. Ever, you never compromise doctrine, but sometimes you have to understand. Uh, in terms of, and I'll give you another way. Another thing might be music, Christian music. Now, some of us are old-fashioned uh, Christian music people. I put myself more into that category. Okay, I I find it difficult to uh, worship under Christian rock music. That's me. Okay. That's me. But would I go, if I, had, if I were here on a Saturday night and I, and I couldn't attend Sunday service, I would go to that. Would I, would I make a scene over that music and say, this isn't godly music? You understand this isn't godly music? When I see people there worshiping and being brought into, God, into the Lord's spirit, I wouldn't do that. So why should my conduct become a stumbling block to them? Okay? That's not a doctrinal issue. That's not a doctrinal issue. So there's a number of things that you have to think about in your Christian walk that relates to this kind of thing. Well, he knew it. This was a wise man. So as much as he, more than anybody else, understood the doctrine of justification by faith alone, separating away from Jew and Gentile, he understood, I'm going to preach to the Jews if I bring this kid with me and he's not circumcised, and they know his mother's a Jew, this is going to be a problem. I'm not going to be able to be effective for the Lord. I'm not going to be effective for the Lord. So he understood that. And so he was was, uh, circumcised. And so as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. In other words, they brought the decision and judgment of the Jerusalem council. This is what they passed. This is what you need to know is they went from church to church and encouraged the people and told them, this is what our church has decided. And so it was It was a great supporting period of time. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So... Uh, Now, verse 6, Paul and his companions, and this time his companions are Luke, Timothy, and Silas. Okay? Luke, Timothy, and Silas. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Please underline that part of your sentence. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit. What is this about? Does the Holy Spirit stop you from presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. In other words, there's a time and a place where God wants the gospel spread, but sometimes it is not within God's timetable. I can't tell you how that works, why it works that way, but God did not want them to go into Asia Minor. They would have gone directly to Ephesus. You know later they go to Ephesus, and Ephesus becomes a a major church, but he didn't want them going there. I don't understand how that works. But the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, sometimes blocks you from doing it. Have you ever thought, I'd really like to speak to somebody about the Lord, and yet as you're starting to talk to somebody, you feel like there's a resistance? Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you, have you started to when you feel like there's a That's the Holy Spirit. Because that person is not ready to hear that message. And when you're dealing with the things of God, you are dealing with very precious things. Do not cast the pearls before swine. You are talking about something precious. And so we are just the messengers of God. That's what we are. You're not saving anybody, but God uses you as a messenger. So if you're a messenger on behalf of the king, you better take your instructions from the king. Because if you go out as a lone wolf and start saying, I think I'll go here and I'll go there, you are going to, you're going to be bereft. Of, 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 of working for the kingdom of God, you're not going to have success, and probably it's not going to be a very f- a nice life situation for you as well. And so you see here that they prayed about it, and God stopped them. Now you say, well, how does God stop them? I'm sure he didn't put up a stop sign. Okay? It doesn't work like this. And the other thing is, I know I hear people say, God, I heard God's, God's voice. And I say some people do hear God's voice. Uh, that, to me, is rare. I think more likely what it is going to be is you're going to pray that God gives you the wisdom to act in a certain way. And one of the things that I've always done in my own life, which is something that my parents raised us to do, is that every major decision in our life, every Decision in our life, we would pray like this Dear Lord, we ask you for guidance if this is your will. And if it is your will, Lord, please open the door so I will know it's your will. And if it's not your will, Lord, please shut the door. Please shut the door. Why, God? Because I'm too stupid, I'm too stupid. To understand, I'm too stupid to read the tea leaves. I need to have the door shut. In fact, I even go further than that. I ask God to slam the door in my face. Because if the door is even left open like this much, I'm the kind of person that will say, "Well, you know, if doors open a little bit, just needs, you know, God's given me ability, I can press this. He wants me to die. So I go further than that, and I ask God to slam the door in my face. And I'm telling you, folks, that I've done this and when our family we have done this in every major decision uh, in terms of where we would go to school, in terms in terms of of buying property. Every major decision in our lives. Uh, in, te- in fact, even the, the relationships in terms of our wives and people that we married, all these issues, we asked for God, God's guidance like this. Um, and I had a dear cousin, and this is I want to give you as a, as a rejoinder on this issue. I had a cousin who I was praying with, praying with weekly for a couple of years, because he was going through a lot of things, and I would pray with him, and I would regularly say, Lord, close the doors in his life that need to be closed and open them. And finally he said to me, you know, Johnny, one day I'd like, I'd like to uh, pray today instead of you. I said, Rich, please, pray. <laughs> dear God... Those doors that have been slammed on me, please open them for me. (laughs) Rich. Rich, what are we, what are you doing? Please open those slammed doors. You know, (laughs) but the point of this is, this is how you need to have your Christian life. Okay? Because it's not like you're in a pinball machine okay, going from hither to post, from here knocked around, and you go, it's not like that in a Christian life, you know, in a Christian life, you get up, and you ask God for guidance, and I'm sure they did this on this missionary trip, Lord, guide us, where should we go, I would like to go into Asia Minor, I could, I'm sure Paul said, I'd like to go to new territory, I want to go into Asia Minor, and it's interesting, if he went into Asia Minor, he would have gone all the way into Turkey, might possibly have gone into Russia, Who knows where Paul would have traveled? Who knows how the world might have been different? We don't know. But God said no. No. We don't know why God says no. And you know what? You don't need to know why God says no in your life. You don't need to know that. You don't need to know the why. You just need to know the answer. And so, this is important for your own Christian life that that we're seeing an example here. So, they were not permitted to go into the province of Asia. Verse 7, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow, them to t- not allow them to. Do you understand there, for the first time, you're hearing the Spirit of Jesus. Do you see that? In other words, the Holy Spirit, while a separate entity, is also representative of the Spirit of Jesus. Interesting. Trinity. Three separate essences. Three separate essences. And you see this. I hear people say to me from time to time, well-meaning people have been in churches, well, I don't see anything in the Bible. No, the word Trinity never appears. No. If you're, the, well, if you're looking for this is the Trinity, you're not going to see the word Trinity. But you read, and you're going to see very clearly that there are three separate essences. Jesus praying to God the Father. Jesus saying, when I go, I will send a comforter who will be with you. And now you see them talking about the comforter actually actually as a personage, as a personage representative of the, of the spirit of Jesus prohibiting them. So you're getting an example here of how our theology is coming together and filling out. And so, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go into Asia. So they so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night Paul had a vision. Had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." Macedonia is effectively northern Greece. And so in the night, Paul has a vision. You want to see how God speaks to you? He speaks to you in dreams. And many of you have had dreams. You've, you've awakened, and some of you have a strong feeling. You've been praying about something, and you get up with a strong conviction. And if, that's God. That's how God speaks to you. Now, we have to understand how God speaks. You know, you're not going to get up at breakfast and sit down and find a breakfast message. You know, Joe... I heard you last night, yes, you can go. No, it doesn't work like that. But you need to have discernment of the Spirit so that when God speaks to you like this, sometimes in a very still, soft voice, you have the feeling and you know that that's God. And I mean, that's what you need to have. And Paul had that. And so, come over here you know, and, and help us. And, and, and so he was being called to go into Europe. Effectively, that's where this mission trip winds up, in Europe, into northern Greece, and then into Greece. So God had directed him away from Asia Minor and directed him into Europe. And so this becomes the first mission trip into Europe. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony. A Roman colony, when it says a Roman colony, here's what a Roman colony was. The emperor would, would decide he wanted to have a certain area colonized by Romans. He would go, he would go to Romans, and many co- times they would be retired military people, and he would say to them, I would like you to go there and be, and populate this area and move into this area and in consideration of you doing that, you no longer have to pay any taxes. It's like Florida. It's like what? Florida. I said it's like Florida. You can understand that. Those of you who are up north, you were in New Jersey, you were in New York, you were in Illinois. And somebody says, you know, if you go to Florida and populate Florida, you won't have to pay taxes. I'm there, you know. (laughs) So pretty much this is how the Emperor, how the Emperor populated these areas and they became Roman colonies. And what that meant was, that was just like being in Rome. If you were in a Roman colony, you were effectively in Rome. All the laws of Rome applied. And this is important to understand this story. Because what had happened a short time before is that the Jews had been thrown out of Rome. They'd been thrown out of Rome.
1: So there was a lot
0: of anti-Semitism. That's a surprise. Really, honestly. Anti-Semitism, have you heard of that? It was anti-Semitism by the Romans against the Jews. They had thrown them out of Rome, and so Jews had been dispersed And so, the other thing that you need to know is that one of the strict Roman laws was, it was against the law to proselytize a Roman citizen. You could not go to a Roman citizen and pitch him to another religion. You couldn't do that. That was against the law. So all of this is important for you to know as we come into this study of this chapter. And so... Uh, let's continue. And so it says, from there we, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. So now they're in Philippi. In Philippi, this Roman colony. On the Sabbath day, verse 13, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Well... They didn't go to a synagogue because in order to have a synagogue you had to have 12 Jewish men. That's basically the law uh, of uh, under the Torah. 12 Jewish men were necessary to have a synagogue. Well there weren't 12 Jewish men in Philippi and so instead they went outside the city where we away from the away from where the regulations would be and they expected to find a place of prayer. I assume they probably had a discernment of the Spirit regarding that. God, the Holy Spirit probably directed them. Go outside the city. We have to kind of uh, read between the lines here. And so they go outside the city, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. This is unusual now. You're beginning to see the, the apostles speak first here to women. You remember when Jesus did that to the Samaritan woman at the well? The disciples went, Oh, gee, you're speaking to a, a woman. You know, Jews would not normally do that. All right, Jews had a, had, had a very uh, negative viewpoint of the role of women in terms of their relationship to men. But here you see how the Holy Spirit changes everything, there is equality. There is full equality under, under Christ. There is no distinction between men or women. There is full equality. Jesus looks at men and looks at women and he sees equality. I mean, and you see that here. So they're speaking directly to the women. And so we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira is is in Turkey. Who was a worshipper of God. Worshipper of God. So what what does that mean? It means Lydia was not Jewish. She was not a Jewish convert. She was not Christian, but she recognized Yahweh. Alright? So she was a worshipper of God. The Lord Opened her heart to respond to Paul. The Lord opened her heart. In other words, again, we're talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit. You don't save anybody, but you bring the message to someone whose heart is opened. Opened by the Holy Spirit. Do you see how this works? God prepares the ground. God prepares the ground. You're directed to go. As God opens their heart, you're you're directed to speak, or in certain cases, not speak. Just act. Demonstrate love. Demonstrate caring. You go to visit somebody who's in a hospital who you're not really close to, but you go to a hospital because God directed you to go to a hospital. And as you're there in the hospital and you're visiting somebody, that person looks and says, Oh, this person just came here to visit me. And I don't really, I wasn't that close to this person, but this person's a Christian. Oh, there's something different about these Christians. And let me tell you something. That message, that message speaks as loud as Billy Graham's crusade. Believe me. So the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and her and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Interesting. She responded to Paul's message, and then the next sentence says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Now, this becomes what we, re- we refer to as household salvation. Household salvation occurs periodically in the New Testament. You saw it in Cornelius's case. His friends, his family, they were all saved at one time. You see it here, Lydia, her household was saved. I'm sure she had a large household. She was a wealthy woman. I'm sure she had servants, besides probably a large family. And the entire household was saved. Was the household saved because Lydia was saved? No. No. Lydia, I'm sure, was a leader. Lydia was a mentor. But each person in that household has to come to Jesus Christ separately. You don't travel on your mother or father's passport. That's not how it works in this Christian work. Yes, you've had godly parents, you've had godly grandparents. You know, but don't tell me about how godly your mother and father and grandparents were and you yet have not made your commitment to God because you can't travel on that passport. You can't travel on that. You got to make you've got to make your own personal decision for the Lord, and obviously this entire household did, and so I love, I love when you see someone who, who really embraces the, the Christian faith, and you want to see an invitation, this is when you know you got a real invitation, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, well how could he turn her down, right, you know, that's not like somebody saying, you know, if you're ever in Naples, I'm in the phone book. (laughs) You are? You're in the phone book? I'm in the phone book. Call me. I don't know whether we'll see each other. You're probably not going to come to my house. But this is an invitation from a real God-loving woman. Brother Paul, if you consider me a believer, come to my house. Oh, Paul. Paul. That's an invitation. He couldn't possibly turn her down. What's he going to say? No, I can't come. You don't consider me a believer? That's a real invitation. That's when you know somebody is really, truly convicted by the Holy Spirit. And she persuaded us. I'll bet she did. I'll bet she did. And so going on in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer. So obviously this is a continuum. They're going back to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, this comes up again and again and again in Acts and in the New Testament. The spirit of divination, fortune-telling. And it's clear, as I said here, this was a demon. A demon who had the ability to predict the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And so, it's interesting, we talked about it before, about how Christians are duped into going to fortune-tellers. And I told you how serious this is. You're messing around with demonic spirits. You're going into, the, into a place where you have no business going. No business going. And so if you have friends and family, keep them away. Tell them this is clearly violative of the word of God, violative of the spirit of God. He's, he's saved you and justified you, and you are basically trashing what he's giving you, this gift, to go back and consort with evil spirits. That's, that's what you're doing here. But it's interesting what happened here in this particular instance. It says here, The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. What is this about? This is a demonic spirit recognizing that these men were the servants of the Most High God? Well, first of all, do, they, does, do demon spirits recognize God? Oh, you bet they do, you bet they do. Okay, they don't. They don't uh, embrace God. They're at war with God. They've made a decision to be adverse to God, but they know who God is. In fact, it's interesting here because I believed in some way God used this demonic spirit to advertise exactly what was going on with this mission. These are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you how to be saved. Well, this is extraordinary that that demonic spirits would speak like this, and they did, and we don't understand all, all the inferences of why that took place, but that's clearly what took place, and I believe that somehow God used that. But Paul recognized he could not, he could not, co-join the gospel of Jesus Christ with a demonic spirit. He could not do that. All right? Even though this woman was saying what was technically correct, the relationship of demonic spirit with the gospel of Jesus Christ could not exist. They could not coexist. And so uh, he determined that he would have to exercise this evil spirit. And this was kept up for many days. He so said, she kept this up for many days. I'm sure he probably struggled. What should I do here? What should I do? What she's saying is technically correct, and I'm sure he struggled about it because he didn't, he didn't exercise it immediately, but I'm sure finally, you know, it came to him, I need to exercise this evil spirit. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, we don't hear about what the reaction was from other people who were there, but you can imagine that hundreds, probably thousands of people in that city knew knew what had happened. They knew. They knew what that woman was doing. They knew, they knew that she could tell fortunes. They knew that she was that she had this uncanny ability. People paid money, a lot of money, to have her tell their fortunes. So it was probably pretty accurate. And we know demons can do this. There is a power in the demon world. They can do that. Don't be surprised, you know. Satan is the king of this world. This is his domain. He has authority. He has power. He's not omnipresent, but he delegates to his minions. His minions have power. Don't kid yourself. When you see evil, and you see evil being perpetuated all over the globe, these evil dictators, let me tell you something, folks. There is a demon right there in that office. Make no mistake about it. That's how Satan works and they have power, and they have authority on this world, but they don't have authority over Jesus. They have no authority over Jesus. And so when this evil spirit was cast out, I'm sure this became a ministry, a testimony in Philippi. And so it says, continuing on, when the owners of the slave girl, in verse 19, realized that their hope of making money was gone, how typical, huh? when their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. There are only two places in the Bible, in the New Testament that I believe, where Gentiles Gentiles, beat and persecuted Paul, both having to do with money. Here, and we're going to read about it later in Ephesus, when it related to the Princess uh, Diane, I believe it was, and the effigies that were being sold. That's it. Money. Money. The root. The love of money. The root of all evil. And so here they were, even though there was a great miracle, it was the love of money that poisoned them. And so continuing on, it says, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So effectively they were relying on the charge of proselytizing to Roman citizens, They would have, you know, in terms of of what they were doing, never mind the fact that they had just done some great miracle, they focused on that. And so, what happens next? The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Now, Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens. Neither one of them at this point mentions, oh, by the way, you should know, were Roman citizens. Because if they had done that, they would not have been allowed to be beaten. They would have needed to have a trial. You could not summarily beat a Roman citizen. You had to have a trial. And in fact, as a Roman citizen, you had a right of continual appeal. Eventually, ultimately, to the emperor, believe it or not. Uh, and you will see Paul use that card later on in Acts because he wanted to get to Rome, and indeed he did get to Rome. Uh, but here's what's going on. He never mentioned it here. Well, you say, why didn't he mention it? Well, I think you'll see later why. Right now, he felt that God did not want him to mention that he was a Roman, Roman uh, citizen. And so, <clears throat> after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's get a picture of what we're dealing with here, okay? Imagine this Paul and Silas, they're serving God. All they're doing is they saw, uh, you know, they're, they're spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of love and hope and eternal salvation. And instead, instead they get beat, they are beat, and now they're put into the inner cell of the prison. And what that means is, there was a cell reserved in the innermost part of these prisons for the most dangerous people. And if any of you ever had a chance to see a cell, a prison, in this period of time, let me tell you folks, this is not like our federal penitentiaries. This is awful. I know people that have actually seen these places and have told me they're unspeakable. Generally, they're underground. They're horrible. And this was in the innermost prison, meaning way in the back. And not only was it way in the back, in the innermost part, he still didn't care, needed more. He put their feet in stocks. In other words, you know what we're dealing with with stocks? It's as if you get those uh, wooden and iron pieces that your feet go through here and are locked down so you can't walk. So I'm locked in the innermost prison, away from everybody else. Uh, It's dark, it's damp, it's horrendous, and my feet are in stocks. And it's midnight. And it's midnight. I'm at the darkest hour. I'm at the darkest hour. And we're going to stop right here at this point at the darkest hour. And you're going to see what happens to what God does for us when we are at our darkest hour. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, dear Jesus, we're so grateful that you've been with us today and that you've given us the word. Lord, I ask you that the word be multiplied in our hearts this week, Lord, as we consider these words and we grow with these words. And now, Lord, I ask you to bless these people, protect them during this week, Lord, bring them back safely here next Sunday. We have put all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.